0: Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits.
1: I say, America, stay out
2: the bushes. Look for the union label. And
1: to secure
3: these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the
0: government. From my
3: cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected.
0: It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan.
4: Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm ever yours, Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of grey. And to that end, each and every show we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's com. Don't forget that email address, alan at com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at mainstreetradionetwork.com. Feel free to... Avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And, of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right, the Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right. Please get out of the thought control business. Our topics to jure you may have heard. Well, U.S. District Judge Dowdy rules that the missouri louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration, quote, has standing, unquote, and says, quote, the threat of future censorship is substantial, and the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat of further censorship is not illusory. Unquote. Also, U.S. House, of Rep- US House Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, more uh, famously or infamously known as AOC, uh, she serves, of course, uh, good folks out of Queens and New York, she argues that giving parents more rights than the state over their children's education, equals fascism. Quote, unquote, equals fascism. Now, does this unevolved bartender possess even a passing familiarity with the King's English? How is it that ensuring parents have a greater say in their kids' education versus the state is somehow tantamount to fascism? If anything, it's the direct antithesis of fascism. This lady cannot tether her assertion to any measurable standard of accountability in dialogue or debate. She cannot link her claim to its required foundational merit. She cannot do it. She applies a label in lieu of arguments she otherwise cannot muster. But we're supposed to take her seriously. This lady is a schmuck. And with every universal measure known to humankind on this planet, she is a schmuck. I mean, this lady might as well be pointing to a tree and, and, and calling it a car. She might as well be pointing to a, a, a leaky pipe and calling it a water fountain. There is zero connectivity between her claim and the grounds necessary to support said claim. Fascism? Denotatively or connotatively, how is giving parents more of a role in their kids' education versus the state tantamount to fascism? Fascism comes from the state, you dumbass. Anyway, without further ado, we have Jeffrey Lord joining us, contributing editor to The American Spectator. He's also a contributor to Newsbusters and Conservative Review, also former CNN political commentator. By the way, he was associate political director for President Ronald Reagan, also worked for Housing Secretary Jack Kemp, the late Jack Kemp, under uh, the late President George H.W. Bush. His most recent book is the highly praised work entitled Swamp Wars, Donald Trump and the New American Populism versus the Old Order. Jeffrey Lord, good to have you back. How are you today?
3: Good to hear you, (laughs) Alan. Glad to be back. And I must say, I want to congratulate you. I can't think of how long it's been since I've heard the word schmuck applied to somebody, not to mention accurately.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I assure you, I know I'm not the only host out there using the word because... All of us have more grounds for said usage than ever before. But I appreciate the sentiment. Let me hop right into this ruling because I think it's a big deal. Uh, thanks to a recent ruling by this uh, U.S. District Judge was it Terry Dowdy. Anyway, the Biden administration's reign of, of censorial terror against the American people, I think, is finally facing a formidable challenge in court. And, and it's the kind that I believe will likely take it down once and for all. We're not there yet. I realize it. But seriously, I mean, look, the lawsuit has been brought by Louisiana and Missouri, along with a group of uh, renowned doctors and scientists and civil rights activists. Uh, And this ruling now grants these folks the standing necessary to share the proof of how the Biden administration has been both compelling and tag-teaming as well, if you want to know the truth, with big tech, to censor the people's dissent against the government's narratives on everything from COVID-19 to elections and, of course, the Hunter Biden laptop story. In your estimation, how big of a deal is this?
3: It's a very big deal. And you know who I think we have to thank, frankly, for this ruling is Elon Musk. His release of the so-called Twitter files shows beyond doubt that the government was working hand-in-hand with big tech to censor people. And the federal judge clearly is, is surely aware of this, as is everybody, all the attorney generals and all of this. I mean, we now know beyond a doubt that this is what's been going on. And so, therefore, there is no reason to think that it won't happen in the future. They've, they've already got a documented record of doing this. I mean, it's not just that it's shameful. This is dangerous stuff. Uh, we're all obviously relatively new to the era of social media. But the thing you want to make sure of is, like everything else, like newspapers and radio shows, etc., that the people who put stuff out there have the freedom to do so and they're not censored. And that's been a real problem.
4: It's uh, interesting how long it's really taken for this type of abuse to be to be heard. I'm I'm surprised it's taken as long as it has. Uh, actually, in this 77-page ruling, uh, U.S. District Judge Dowdy wrote that the plaintiffs have demonstrated the required standing to illustrate that there was federal coercion responsible for suppressing their opposing views on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, as well as LinkedIn, and that without any intervention, or without intervention, it will most assuredly continue. Is this uh, close to the beginning of the holy rail of government accountability finally coming to fruition, Jeffrey? Or am I being too sanguine about this? Am I being too sanguine?
3: No, I think it is. Alan. I think this is a very, very big deal here. Um, as I say, once we saw in some considerable detail what was going on behind the scenes, which basically confirmed what everybody or lots of us thought was going on, well, now we know for sure. So this is a very, very big deal. Uh, I think we can eventually get things back to a negotiated future where uh, you know this kind of thing does not happen. But... Uh, yeah, wow, this is this is very big.
4: It seems to me that it's been a long time coming, though. I mean, oh, my God, here yeah. we are over halfway uh, through the Biden administration. Uh, the abuse has been nonstop, and we're only just getting there. Now, in addition to the states of Louisiana, Missouri, we have epidemiologist Jay uh Martin Koldorf. Uh, He, You know, th- these folks co-wrote the Great Barrington Declaration that opposed the lockdowns. You had thousands of doctors and scientists saying, Uh, There is no, there are no grounds for these actions. Also included is psychiatrist, uh, Aaron um, uh, Kiriati, who was fired by the University of California, Irvine, for rejecting its COVID vaccine mandate. Uh, Once again, Judge Doughty emphasized that, quote, the threat of future censorship is substantial, and the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat of further censorship is not illusory or merely speculative, unquote. Now, while this has been cleared for trial, i got to ask you, Jeffrey, is it likely that this ruling of standing will itself be challenged by the Biden administration before this trial takes place, or will they just go straight to the trial to avoid the elongation of their embarrassment? Your take.
3: Oh, I I think that they'll, they'll do what they can to stop it, to overturn it. Absolutely. You know, the thing that's at play here, Alan, you, you know, when I was listening to you talk about AOC and... Uh, calling parents fascists and all this sort of thing. And I've said this kind of thing before. You know, human beings invented fire centuries and centuries and centuries ago. Uh, And we've now long gone from just inventing fire to dealing with our Apple MacBook Pros and all that sort of stuff. The technology changes. What doesn't change is the human being and the impulse here. And the impulse to censor to be fascist, etc., uh, has been around he- with human beings forever, and this is the latest sighting of it.
4: No, it's true, and uh, their uh, response is always, of course, to characterize our expectation of their accountability as always being more, more inappropriate than their shirking of it. I always love that tactic, Jeffrey. If you can buddy, hang on the line for just a bit, folks. You're listening to the Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back.
5: This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer-Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Fibrineer Program. To learn more about Fibronear and eligibility requirements, visit Fibronear IPF.longboat.com and Fibronear ILD.longboat.com.
6: This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities.
7: Justina Nixon-St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org.
0: Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times, when we were more active and ate more healthy foods, and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me... What else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart.
5: Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council.
1: The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities.
4: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. We're talking about how U.S. US District Judge uh, Terry Dowdy, uh, based out of Louisiana, rules that the Missouri-Louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration, quote, has standing and adds that, quote, the threat of future censorship is substantial and the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat – a further censorship is not illusory. Um, this this is a this is a major development, and I'm not sure why it hasn't received uh, that much more um, attention. I would have think I would have thought that, even though this is not good news for the left, if for no other reason than to sound the alarm bells, uh, they would have been making more of it. But perhaps they're hoping that obscuring the story might make it go away. I don't know. They're all five year olds these days. Uh, my former colleagues in journalism. Uh, Jeffrey Lord is joining us, uh, sticking around, we appreciate that, contributing editor to The American Spectator, a contributor to Newsbusters and Conservative Re- Review, again, a former CNN political commentator. Jeffrey, appreciate you, appreciate you hanging out with us.
3: You bet. Glad to be here. This is an important topic, uh, Alan, a, a very important topic, and we have not heard by any stretch the last of this.
4: No, and, and I'm really happy about the standing. The standing can be a, a frustrating standard to to reach. Um and there's really three points of criteria of what constitutes standing and they're based on the Supreme Court's ruling from Lujan v. Defenders of Wildlife 1992 we've talked about it before um it's just three basic ones one you need just to truncate it I don't want anybody's eyes rolling in the back of their sockets unless they're having a good time with their favorite squeeze but anyway uh, <laughs> uh, you got injury, you got injury in fact which is uh, a harm that's actual or, or imminent, if you will. It can't just be merely conjectural or, or, or hypothetical. And then the other standard it has to reach is causation. You know, you've got to show how the harm is actually traceable to the controversial conduct in focus. And then finally, likelihood of redress. This is where the plaintiff, in this case Missouri, Louisiana, these doctors and activists, this is where the plaintiffs have got to identify the remedy that a court's ruling could offer and it appears that all of these boxes have been ticked uh, vis-a-vis Judge Dowdy's ruling and I think he's done so in such a way that's unimpregnable if you will Uh, simply not penetrable uh, with subsequent courts I don't see how an appellate court ruling uh, could go in any other direction given the absolute tonnage of evidence that 's been submitted the tonnage of evidence on which this judge has predicated his decision because he says the examples are 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 astonishing the the, the sheer weight and number the depth and breadth that 's why i 'm thinking maybe it is possible that the administration might just want to go right to trial and, and and try you know their appeals uh based on how court proceedings go from this point on, but if they 're just going to try to get out from under the The standing ruling, I don't think they have much of a chance. What say you?
3: No, I don't think they do either. You know, what I find so fascinating here when you sort of pull up to the 30,000 feet level, this whole social media business is, in essence, new, brand new. Uh, The the thing that I, I, just off the top of my head, that I most liken it to is when the printing press was invented hundreds of years ago and, People started reading things, and then other people started printing things, and other people started printing things, and pretty soon you had newspapers all over the place and, and printed formats and all of this kind
4: Caxton? of thing. that Caxton? I think Caxton was the first printing press. I, I'm going back to my Anglican history. Yeah,
3: I forget here, but but my point is this, what we're seeing here is all new. The technology itself is brand new, and so how we react to it and how we deal with it that is something that we've been figuring out over time, and of course, the human impulse to censor uh kicked in almost immediately under the guise in this case I mean I think it started out before the pandemic. but once the pandemic came along, this got really serious business here with cancelling out doctors who had different opinions and all of this kind of thing. Uh, so, so we're still struggling with well, it. Well, yeah, but and they're doing so. It.
4: They're doing so on the basis of you know fighting disinformation, but hiding censorship behind the cause of battling disinformation doesn't validate the government's crushing of free speech. Since whether you're talking about misinformation or disinformation, these are are non-existent standards until they're each given a specific measure, which is then defended, and even then. You can't justify, you can't use those things to justify circumventing free speech rights because guess what? Under the First Amendment, you have the right to misinform! You have the right, right to be wrong! I mean, otherwise, they're just meaningless, nebulous terms that anyone can say in a, in a temper tantrum. You can't just have one side getting to determine when misinformation arises, because think about it, then only the other side will ever be cited as the one who misinforms. And, and until we can have open discussions online over what constitutes misinformation or disinformation, we're then sort of perpetuating the very disinformation we're ostensibly trying to end. I mean, think about it. Everyone disagreeing with one another does so because each believes the other to be misinformed. But since when has that ever been enough to justify shutting down dissent, crushing free speech? I ask you, Jeffrey Lord.
3: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, if social media didn't exist, this, this debate, this argument would still be going on because, as we've seen, people on the left want to shut down. Fox News, Newsmax, where I'm now a contributor. They, they shut down uh, One one America News. Actually, uh, by the way, result-
4: just real fast, congratulations. I understand DirecTV picked up Newsmax again, so good on you guys.
3: Yes, ex- exactly. And so this thing, this thing has been going on not in a social media context, but in a television context. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this is just the impulse to shut things down. And all we're dealing with here is this has moved from just television to social media itself. And now you have, you've had people in the government in these bureaucracies uh, trying to, you know, the FBI, good Lord, working with these tech companies to shut people down. Uh, this is this is bad stuff, and this definitely has to be resolved, and I think it's in the process of being resolved.
4: Yeah, the idea that these uh, political activists and the FBI took it upon themselves to deny voters their access rights to election-relevant information by crushing the uh, Hunter Biden laptop story and, and compelling big tech to not carry it. I mean, I, I, who can forget that, uh, you know, last August, I think it was, Mark Zuckerberg, FBI, Facebook guy, tells Joe Rogan that his company algorithmically censored the Hunter Biden laptop story for about a week, and it was just based on FBI guidance to, you know, limit election misinformation. No! Right. You don't get to <laughs> limit misinformation. Because misinformation has got has got to be something that's ferreted out through the exchange of free ba- freedom based ideas. Right. You have got you to fight be able misinformation to free information with truth. Yeah, you can't. You need you need daylight because that's the best des- disinfectant. Think about it. I mean, again, everybody who disagrees with one another does so because each believes the other to be misinformed, and accordingly, they don't want that that misinformation to give birth to disinformation thereafter. But the best way to expose disinformation is not by crushing speech, but by allowing that much more speech so that those who are, let's say hypothetically disinforming or misinforming can be challenged in the open arena of ideas and be exposed for said Disinformation or misinformation? Where am I, or am I being Pollyanna about this?
8: No,
3: no, you've got it. You nailed it exactly, Alan. That is exactly right. So that's the standard, and we've got to keep to it.
4: My God, yes. Arguments have to rise and fall on their merits, not on the say so of one side over the other. Because once we have only one side being the arbiter of what constitutes misinformation or disinformation, trust me, it'll only be the other side ever guilty of it. That's why. Jeffrey Lord, always a blast, folks. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show.
7: From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve, and again on Valentine's Day, and on random occasions throughout the the year they're drawn to each other though they are each too insecure to be their true selves so what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist author elise bryant
3: this is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are i hope readers enjoy going along in this ride with reggie and delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the
7: way Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is in the air. And now's the time to spring forward with a delicious
0: breakfast from Burger King. An all natural Simply Orange juice. Begin your day with a sausage, egg and cheese sandwich with sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Or a bacon, egg and cheese biscuit on a warm buttermilk biscuit. And make it a meal. All Burger King breakfast sandwiches go great with crispy hash browns and pair perfectly with a Simply Orange juice with no added sugar. Never sweetened, never concentrated and never frozen. Simply Orange goes. Perfectly with breakfast at Burger King, and is rich in vitamin C. And now through March 31st on the BK app, Royal Perks members get a free single sandwich with any Simply Orange juice purchase. Use code Breakfast to redeem. Get a jump on spring with breakfast at Burger King. Because you rule at participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Royal Perks account required. Restrictions apply. See offer terms for details. Not valid on delivery orders. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs>
4: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Well, AOC is against the Parents' Bill of Rights, which, by the way, just passed the House, much to her chagrin. And uh, 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 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is against it. I don't know why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is against it. Yes, we know why, because it holds the left accountable for shenanigans that they otherwise uh, would get away with. And they don't like being held accountable. Because the left characterize accountability as always being more inappropriate than their shirking of it. She's against the the Parents' Bill of Rights in school, uh, describing it as fascism. But if everything you don't like is called fascist, regardless of your ability to link your claim to its required foundational merits then face it, you just sound like a functionally illiterate ass. We know what the bill is supposed to do. It's got basically five points. Parents are supposed to have the right to have a voice in their kids' education. They're supposed to have a chance to know what's being taught in the schools. They have a right for that transparency. They have the right to see the reading material. They have the right to speak out and be heard without being called domestic terrorists as was the case with the FBI viewing them. The National School Board wrote the letter saying, hey, these guys are ter- uh, akin to domestic terrorists. Now, they, they dialed it back real fast, saying it never should have gone out. But turns out they co-wrote that letter with the FBI. They didn't just do it on their own unilaterally. They co-wrote it. They tag-teamed. It was a reciprocal effort. The Parents' Bill of Rights also says, hey, Teachers, I mean, parents have a right to see the school budget, look at the spending. And they also have a right to protect their kids' privacy and the right to be updated on any violent activity at school. But for some reason, these standards are being regarded as fascism. Fascism is when one side dictates to the other how things will be, and that's it. Thank you very much. Somebody demanding a right is not the same as somebody else characterizing their right to impose their will on others. My saying that I have a right to know a thing in a representative government wherein leaders rule by the consent of the governed, that's not fascism. Fascism is when you move forward to deny me access to that information. So the paradox here is AOC is embodying the very fascism she's ostensibly against. The fascists are the ones who deny the right to knowledge, the right to a voice. Fascists are not the ones who demand the knowledge and demand the voice. She seems to be a skosh functionally illiterate in this regard. Unless, of course, language is no longer tethered to the meanings of the words that comprise it. I don't know where the hell I'm mistaken at all in this regard. What an idiot. Anyway, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing over the show, John O'Connor, former assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California representing the U.S., and he also represented Mark Felt regarding the media's revelation of his identity, his deep throat during Watergate. Um, John O'Connor, good to have you back. How are you today?
8: Hey, Alan, great. And uh, wonderful, uh, pithy explanation of why AOC is acting as a fascist. That's Uh exactly what fascists do. Uh, Jonah Goldberg wrote a great book, Liberal Fascism. You know, Nazis are socialists. People forget that. They're socialists. They're not free market people, you know. And uh, and, and they're the ones who could take control of minds and so forth from a socialist perspective and would, would act just as AOC is acting.
4: Oh, I know, without a doubt, without a doubt. By the way, speaking of uh, fascist-like behavior, uh, Manhattan DA... Bragg uh, doesn't seem to have much about which to boast as of late. Uh, it, it appears that his case is falling apart like a plan on fire out of the sky. That is to say, his efforts to indict Trump. Uh, we were supposed to apparently hear an indictment coming down this week. It was supposed to be this past Tuesday. Not happening now, but it appears that one of the grand jury witnesses he brought forward undercut the credibility of... One of his other grand jury witnesses, Michael Cohn, former attorney for, for Donald Trump. Well, apparently the former attorney for Michael Cohn himself says this guy has no credibility. <laughs> you know, he's got a history of lying. <laughs> uh, I, it, I mean, you know, it looks as if Bragg moves forward with this. I don't know how he can. I mean, it, it appears that uh, even this grand jury uh, is, is having some, some difficulty swallowing his crap. Or am I seeing too much into this? Here, take.
8: Oh, no. Besides the fact that the charges themselves are tremendously weak uh, for various reasons. But he has a statute of limitations problem. Even if he's correct that there are two crimes here, which you have to have in order to get a five year statute of limitations and to get a felony. This happened seven years ago. So now what he has to do is try to cut out two years out of the statute of limitations because Trump was supposedly in a, quote, continuous, unquote, absence from New York. Now, I'm not so sure under the statute, and I haven't looked at all the case law, but I think, you know, the fact that you're living in Washington, D.C. and come back to New York and really have not abandoned the state, I'm not so sure that's a continuous absence. So I, I think the case may be dead on arrival with this statute of limitations problem. And then the best thing, though, Alan, the best comparison is this. John Edwards was charged with an illegal campaign expenditure for taking campaign funds and paying them to his mistress to hush her up. And and what the government said there was, you cannot use campaign funds to hush up a mistress. Now, the exact opposite in this case is that Trump didn't list this as a campaign contribution, nor did he um, use campaign funds to to reimburse michael cohen for this so in other words he is now being charged with not using campaign funds for to pay off his mistress no you're not supposed to use campaign funds to pay off a mistress so how can it be an illegal how can it be an unregistered campaign uh, uh expenditure it can't be the government has decreed that paying your mistress ain't a campaign expenditure uh It's the same thing, Alan. If I thought a a wonderful $3,000 Brioni suit would help my campaign, I can't spend my contributors' money on a $3,000 suit. That's an illegal campaign expenditure because it's not directly related to the campaign. It's not the type of thing you're supposed to spend money on, even though – the expenditure might incidentally help me. Well, yeah, they're trying to say
4: that that, that because uh, keeping her ordeal with him quiet by default advantages his campaign, it should be thought of as as a required campaign expenditure. But my understanding is that according to the law of New York, or no, not the law of New York, but the law, uh, but federal law, if a particular expenditure is With ancillary reasons, in other words, other reasons as well, secondary, tertiary reasons, in other words, it's going to serve other purposes and not solely uh, be connected to the campaign, well, then all of a sudden it also is no longer required uh, to be claimed as an expenditure. In other words, uh, you know, Trump could argue that, and I think he did, was that, uh, you know, keeping, you know, having this uh, nondisclosure agreement signed, keeping Stormy Daniels quiet about the accusation of having had an affair with him. Is something that he would have that he wanted just so as to avoid having the accusation embarrass his wife or tarnish his his uh, company's brand name. Now, if those are the reasons as well, then those are secondary and ancillary reasons, and also undercut the claim as it being a required campaign um, expenditure. Am I missing something here?
8: No, you said it just right. Uh, the other, the easiest way to look at this is: should a politician be able to use donors, contributors' funds to pay off their mistress? The answer is no. That's what John Edwards was indicted for and barely escaped because he used campaign funds to pay off a mistress, and the government said that's improper. And, and also that Edwards- attorney Costello,
4: the one who used to work for uh, Michael Cohn, who was released from his uh, attorney-client privilege uh, requirements, made it abundantly clear that Michael Cohn was the one who unilaterally shelled out those dollars, not, not Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump did later on compensate um, Michael Cohn for some expenses, but nothing specifically tethered to the Stormy Daniels things. But again, you, you got Bragg who wants to prosecute Trump for violating 2016 federal campaign finance laws, seemingly using a three-bank shot without the cushions to get there. I mean, you, know, you, got, you got the statute of limitations has expired. The feds already found insufficient evidence, and they dropped their pursuit. And of course, his witnesses lost credibility big time. So, WTF is the question that comes to mind? And I think validly so. Or am I being too snarky?
8: No, Alan. This is a. This just shows that it, we're starting to look like a banana republic for this because it's such a silly prosecution and so, um, so so off the mark. And yet there's. Part of our our society is rooting for this to happen without looking at how silly this is. And that shows you where we are right now in our culture.
4: It's just bizarre. It's too bizarre. Actually, John, buddy, if you can, hang on the line for just a moment. Folks, you're listening to the Alan Nathan show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Gonna be right back. In
1: December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager, JumpCloud's Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices. And cloud-based options aren't ideal either. JumpCloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end-to-end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud-based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com.
2: Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill.
1: I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you.
2: I'm a quadriplegic.
3: I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity.
9: I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system.
0: Well, I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me, would there be a ventilator for me, would I be able to survive something it's, it's just heavy, you know, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is.
6: Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them.
9: I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now.
6: We all got to
3: help each other right now.
4: We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to
8: helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org.
4: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Well, the U.S. District Judge Dowdy rules that the missouri louisiana censorship case against the Biden administration, quote, has standing, unquote, also says the quote, the threat of future censorship is substantial, and the history of past censorship is strong evidence that the threat of further censorship is not illusory, uh, unquote. Also, U.S. House uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, argues that giving parents more rights than the state over their children's education somehow, quote-unquote, equals fascism. Does this unevolved bartender possess even a passing familiarity with the king's English? It's very, very strange. She's very bizarre in this regard. I mean, she's almost self-invalidating in real time. Now, what is the parents' bill of rights? By the way, just passed the House, much to her chagrin. Just as we're speaking, it just passed. And it's basically six parts to it. Uh, Parents have the right to have a voice in their kids' education. they got a right to know what's being taught in the schools as well as the reading materials that would accompany what's being taught in those schools, Uh, the right to be heard, the right to see a school budget, what the spending is like, the right to protect their school, their kids' privacy, and also, hey, I know, the right to be updated on any violent activity that might be happening at the school. This just seems like an expansion of rights which would be antithetical to fascism, Yet uh, this is what AOC had to say about the bill. Clip two, James, if you please.
6: The Republican Party to keep culture wars out of classrooms. Our children need urgent and aggressive educational solutions. The American Library Association coming out against this Republican proposal. When we talk about progressive values... I can say what my progressive value is, and that is freedom over fascism.
4: Then why do you support the state having the final word over what kids are taught, what the parents can learn about what the kids are taught, and other decisions they're entitled to know about? I mean, these days, my God, if uh, you look at the military, grade school kids whose parents are in the military can unilaterally start getting hormone blockers (laughs) <laughs> I mean, uh, without their parents' knowledge. This gives the state disproportionate sway over what the parents might have to say in, in in these regards. How is it that having parents having a greater participatory role in their kids' lives versus the state having a dominant role in the lives of those same children is tantamount to fascism, again, unless language is no longer tethered to the meanings of the words that comprise it, having more of a say over what happens with your kids versus the state is clearly closer to the very freedom about which AOC so glibly speaks. Or again, am I seeking too much into this? We have assisting in the opining and analyzing. None other than John O'Connor, former assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the U.S. He also represented W. Mark Felt regarding the media's revelation of his identity as Deep Throat during Watergate. John, I appreciate you sticking around. Thanks so much.
8: Sure. You know, when she talks, when AOC talks about freedom, she's talking about freedom of the state to control the minds of these kids and freedom to get those pesky parents out of the way. That That's is fascism. Freedom. That, that is, fascism. is fascism. Exactly, and you said it earlier in the earlier segment, a very pithy definition of fascism. You have it. Now She's pointing authority... to the
4: number two and calling it odd, and then pointing to the number three and calling it even, and characterizing those who would correct her as promoting a level of evil that is unconscionable. I mean, there has to be some connectivity between your claim and the grounds necessary to validate said claim, or you do come across as functionally illiterate, do you not?
8: You, you, that's exactly right. And when the states, to the extent that the state has some power over the kid while he's in school, the Latin phrase is in loco parentis. This, the teachers are simply ask, acting in place of the parents for a temporary time. And the implication is it's like the bank can, you know, having uh, access to your money. It's not theirs to do whatever they want with it. They owe you a duty or your stock broker owes a duty to follow your instructions as to what to do when you place this in their care. The parents are placing their kids in the care of these teachers, and they are the ones who well, should and they're have characterizing this to raise is some, their kids.
4: And they're characterizing this as somehow stepping on the First Amendment rights of the teachers as if that somehow transcends their subordinate role to the parents as employees of the state. We forget about that. The well, First Amendment right, right that, that transcends all other rights is, would be that of the parents, not the teachers. The teachers are not there to allow their role in the state to somehow elevate their own personal First Amendment rights to dictate to, their, to the parents' kids what choices they should be making in life. If anything, well, their First Amendment right takes a back seat once they fill that official role in the school, where, what am I missing?
8: Well, no, you're right. Uh, First Amendment has nothing to do with them. For example, if my client tells me, if you tell me, I want you to file this case, and and I don't do it, and I say, well, look, I I know I'm your lawyer, but I have a First Amendment right to do whatever I want, so I can I can really cheat you and. F- no you can't do that That's no once they Amendment agree history. to be
4: hired once they agree to be hired by the state just like once you agree to be hired by your client you put that client's first Amendment right above your own just as the teachers understand that when it comes to teaching the kids and determining what level of transparency uh, should be available to those parents, all that becomes secondary to the parents' first Amendment rights It's not the other way around is it?
8: No, it's not. And the First Amendment also allows the parents the right to petition their government for redress of grievances. But uh, AOC doesn't seem to see that. They seem to think that the parents are just being fascist by doing this. And for the government to actually accept their petition and say, yes, you're right. Your children have been abused. This is what the law we're passing. That's that's the First Amendment in action. When, when the parents get their satisfaction that, that their rights are are being are being uh, snuffed out, so it, they've got she's got everything backwards, and it's and and that's sort of what Orwell talked about. You know, when you get into the socialist uh, jargon, black becomes white, up becomes down.
4: Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. That's why I'm happy that uh, the woke will eventually be put to sleep because their inverted burden of proof structure in all arguments is simply unsustainable. I mean, people eventually get tired of assertions endlessly predicated on what are nothing more than other assertions with only shaming tactics used as their validation. I think folks can recognize the genuine disparity between a legitimate premise and the woke pretext pretending to be one. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show.
0: The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.